Hello and welcome to this special edition of the WCW vs. NWO podcast. The podcast that analyzes, dissects, and burning hammers one of the most important eras of professional wrestling. I am your host, Dave, and this episode we're going to be doing something a little different. We're very excited about the New Japan show, Wrestle Kingdom 12. For those of you who aren't in the know, it's essentially Japan's version of WrestleMania this year, and we all we all went out and watched it, see what uh, see what we thought. We're doing something a bit modern, which is uh, hasn't been our forte so far. And I can't really delve into this alone. I'm not an expert in this field. I've only got into kind of the Japanese side of wrestling in the last year or so. So I need people to help me. With me, as always, is Connor. How are you doing, Connor? I'm doing good. I'm a little bummed that Gus couldn't make it out to this recording, but we'll. Uh... We'll make do on our own for now. We got a special guest on the line with us, too. So I'm excited to talk about some Japanese wrestling because, like you and many other wrestling fans, this is my first year watching New Japan stuff. I've always heard about it. I've read about it in books, but it was always this mythical thing. And I've always liked Japanese culture, so it always seemed like a win-win, but I never took that dive into it until this year. So excited to talk about it. Yeah, Gus was certainly the expert between the three of us because I think we've both taken it up recently, as you said. But Gus at least had a, he has a bit of a backlog of watching some of the older stuff and going back. But yeah, I'd be very much the same. I think my consumption of Japanese wrestling has gone up since my WWE consumption has gone down. More and more, I'm more disappointed with American products, so I'm looking for my uh, my fix somewhere else. Yeah, I think we're all in the same boat, Dave. I, I, can, I can wager a guess that we are. Yeah, we, we can talk about that a bit today. But we needed another expert. Gus couldn't be here. So I'd like uh, I'd like to welcome Danny to the cast for the first time. Thanks so much for being here, Danny. Thanks for being willing to talk about wrestling with me. I'm I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, I, I guess same to you. When did your kind of fandom of wrestling overall begin? Oh wow, a lifetime ago. I my first memories are of watching and being a very large fan of uh, Bret Hart. Um, he was my favorite as a child. Um, I watched him for a lot of years, and I remember guys like Michaels and Flair. And it was during the period where Hogan's reign was sort of ending, and we were transitioning into something else. So that's when I started watching it. And then I dropped it for several years, picked it back up for a little bit in the Attitude Era, and I'm sure the era you guys talk about a lot with WCW and WO era. That was mostly because wrestling was very hot then, and so everybody was sort of watching it. It was almost a social stigma not to be in tune with it at that point. So I checked that out, was into it for a short while there, and then got out of it for a really, really long time. And then a friend turned me on to the existence of the network. In 2014, I sort of caught up over a summer of just sort of leaving pay-per-views on in the background and uh, watched it for a few years, but then wound up getting into New Japan in late 2015. And um, what caught your eye with New Japan? The presentation. Uh, it was, like you said, it seemed to have some things going for it that I found lacking in the um, American wrestling company. I've actually enjoyed a lot of American wrestling here and there, but it's all been very much on the independent scene. The WWE product, it's almost as if I was most into it in talking about things I didn't like with other people, uh, whereas Japan seemed to have a much more cohesive presentation. I was telling a friend not that long ago that 
if WWE were on my television and my wife walked in, a lot of the times I would just be sort of embarrassed or have to explain to her what it was <laughs> or what was going on. But for years now, if I've had New Japan on the television, you know, my wife will just sit down and be sort of amazed by what they're able to do. And I'm, I'm not really having to explain a whole lot. It's just cool on its own. Well, there's different things that you have to explain. There's there's things like, oh, Tanehashi's hair. My wife's like, what the hell does he, what, what is up with his hair? I, I know yeah. exactly what you mean, though, because uh, I I watched it with a friend. We had a couple beers the, a day or two after. They, they have their own network as well. So he, he has that. I came over to his a day or two after the event to watch it on our own time. And I invited my girlfriend over to come watch. And I don't think I'd randomly invite my girlfriend to watch WWE as much because I don't think she'd be as entertained by it. Same. Like I, I don't think she could just sit there, drink beers, talk to us, and watch it. It's just, and it's not because it's an oddity. It's just, I think it's just pure entertainment a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, so Daniel, let, let me ask you that. So, like, what's kind of like the mission statement for New Japan? Like, what, what do you think the target audience they're going for? Because we're talking about this in as in like our significant others being involved with watching it. So would you say like they target more females or is it just those females that seem to be in attendance or is it just, they're just more vocal in the audience? There is, you're definitely right that there's a much more even gender pre, uh, as far as people it caters to caters to is probably the wrong word. But if you look at a new Japan show, any given new Japan show, I think the audience is somewhere between 30 and 40% female and I think that's a lot lower in WWE. There's a lot of reasons for that. The big the big difference over there is in the culture and the image. The image is much more sporting. It's presented the way you'd present like a UFC fight or a Bellator fight, something something like MMA. It still has characters and things, but it's less sort of cartoonish. It's not dialed up in those ways and so for those reasons I think you see it not being a guy thing or not being a, a girl thing or a male-female thing. It's just something that more of the general populace just respects. Yeah, the, it was a bit evident of the... I never kind of noticed the gender split. I, I never really noticed the audience until Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, talking about presentation, they had a, Tokyo Dome is beautiful and they had a beautiful layout there padding over the crowd a lot for this event. But the Naito match at the end... Me and my friend know that it's really hard to uh, to unhear once you hear it. Every time there was a bit of a pause in action, there were lots of women just shouting Naito. <laughs> and I, I would I would probably Okada! be I would be uh, probably among them. I'm a very big fan of <laughs> yeah. Naito, so yeah, I, I would be happy to shout along in as feminine a way yeah. as I could. We we didn't notice that for a second. I was like, oh, there, there must be a lot of women in the crowd. And the next time they panned over, there was a lot of families and couples there, which I thought was great. It was a bit of a, as much as WB likes to portray itself as a family kind of activity, there's a lot of dads and dads and sons there, but there was a lot of whole families in the, the New Japan crowd, which was amazing. I, I think one of the strong bits of that, and something we'll touch on here, is that uh, storytelling is so much better there than I think it is in America. Would you agree with that, Danny, or is that something that drew you toward that product a bit more? Oh, absolutely. Um, Vince McMahon, everything goes through Vince. Hunter or Paul Levesque, I guess, if you're, if we're talking about an exec, <laughs> you know, the character is Triple H, but the, yep. the executive is Paul Levesque. And he runs NXT and Vince doesn't touch that. And But a lot of people think that, you know, SmackDown is is Shane's or, or these things. Everything actually goes through Vince and everything... For better, and that's for, uh, for better or worse thing. It's a very simple thing, but Vince McMahon is a 
very, very wealthy guy in his 70s. And that's not necessarily conducive of good storytelling. <laughs> we're, we're, in a, we're in a period where the wrestling product is more or less kind of doing the same things it's always been doing. But in pop culture, we're looking at better stories. We're looking at Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, The Wire, Westworld. We have all these entertainment products that are super, super tight and in the golden age of the storytelling kind of stuff. And that's not conducive to Vince's mode of operating. And so you end up with a lot of story inconsistency where he forgets things or changes things last minute. And it just comes off really muddled compared to other forms of entertainment. New Japan is much more methodical. It's much more planned out. There's more of a team mentality to the roster. So instead of it being your personal responsibility to get over like it is here and you're pitted up against fellow talent, over there it's a concerted, respectful sort of team effort. And I think that shows a lot in the storytelling. Is it fair to like compare... New Japan to say a company like ECW, as in the talent is given a little bit more freedom to kind of express themselves and go with the storyline with how they want to, or at least for their characters. Do, do wrestlers have more freedom over there? It certainly seems like it. Absolutely. Um, WWE matches are very micromanaged. Uh, in New Japan, the guys are given the finish and they're told how much time they have. They say 30, oh, wow. 35 minutes, Okada goes over with the Rainmaker. That's it. It's up to the guys to put the match together entirely beyond that. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, wow. it's super, super different. So, like, what are, what are the other apparent differences between, like, U.S.-style wrestling? It could be either, like, WWF back in the day, WCW, ECW, or any of the kind of the big, the big companies. What are, like, the big differences? They can be just, like, wrestling style. Is there, like, the crowds and just anything storytelling? We kind of got into that already. But what are the, the big differences that really catch your eye when you first started watching? Uh, the first thing that caught my eye was I didn't realize how even – good American style matches or WWE style. When I say American, I'm really talking about WWE because yeah. they have they have sort of a functional monopoly is just because they're that much bigger. If you watch a WWE match today, you're going to see the match start with the baby face taking about the first twenty percent. You're gonna see the heel go for the next seventy and then the crowd gets into it when they know the comeback is coming because not because uh, it's a babyface comeback, but because they know the actual result is now coming. The commercials have aired. You can sing along to it. This the New Japan matches are very different. Even one guy who does the same ten or fifteen moves, he can put those together with somebody else in a completely different way than what you've seen the week before, the month before. Uh, it's super super different match to match and talent to talent. The crowds are a great way, a great thing to notice as far as the difference in presentation. It's super indicative of the culture. Absolutely. Uh, over here, uh, like the Royal, I'm in Philadelphia. The Royal Rumble's here in a few weeks as of the time of this recording. I won't be in attendance, but Aww. what you're, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Long Beach instead to watch New Japan um, in March. Nice. So, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. What a March. Yeah. Well, that about, that about sums this up, doesn't it? Um, so the crowd in Philadelphia and almost the Raws and things you'll see, you'll, you know, you hear CM Punk chants even to this day. Uh, there's a lot of this is awesome, boring. Occasionally you'll get like the bullshit chant. Like there's a lot of the or name clap, clap, clap. There's about six or seven chants you'll always hear. 
crowds are super, super swingy. Over there, it's much more treated the way you'd see a recital or something. Everybody, they announce the entire card and the order it's going to be in before the, like when the show starts. They're unabashed about intermissions. You can watch a lot of shows on New Japan World, and I suggest everybody do that, uh, where there's just an intermission they don't edit out. They just It's just 15 minutes where everybody gets up and there's very little going on on the screen, and, and they're fine with that. They're very comfortable with it being just sort of a respected entertainment venue. As a- oh, so the they don't have to put a divas match as a transition <laughs> intermission piece. Yeah, yeah, they don't. Nobody, nobody eats shit. <laughs> it's yeah. much harder to. It's much harder to get over. Like the if the crowd is not into it, they'll just sit there. That's death over there. It's not the boring chance or or the what chance like over here. You'll notice on WWE cards, even on pay per views, uh, what they'll do is they have a lot of times before the main event. They have like what they expect will be the worst or worst received match on the show to like cleanse the palate before the main event. Uh, they don't do that over there. Things like that. It's they put the matches in order that they think the quality will be like the build. It's very consistent and the stories don't have like a lot of cute swerves and things like that. They just sort of present it as it is, and a lot of times that ends up being way more effective. One of one of the things that goes kind of hand in hand with this storytelling is how long they tell stories for, which I think we're not very used to in American wrestling, especially. I was trying to recall the last long-term booked story I enjoyed in WWE, and I think it was Michael's Taker. So the only one I could recall to memory, and I can't think of any WCW storyline, possibly Goldberg, you could say is long-term booking, but is arguable. Is, Is that something you enjoy, how long these stories last, or how they call back to them even when feuds are quote-unquote over oh yeah absolutely the 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 guy who books over there is named ghetto and he is he's a he's a worker he's he usually takes the pin there's an ongoing joke where like vince mcmahon is very into getting himself and the mcmahon's over no matter what happens and ghetto is the new japan booker and he is he will anytime he's in a match he is getting pinned and it's always like a running joke because he, he wants to put everybody else over instead of himself. And so like these long-term stories he does are pretty amazing. I follow them very closely. And in September or after, after Naito won the G1 and we knew that Naito Okada would be the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. So this is in September or late August. I did my usual perusing um, and I discovered that Okada's, Okada's world title reign would tie the most all-time days with that belt on January 4th of this year. Like, you can't overstate how well thought out the long-term storylines are over there. It's usually a year in advance. They, they give themselves flexibility because people get hurt and things like that. Shows come up. The Like, Jericho, they obviously didn't know Jericho would be there until much later in uh, 2017. But they give themselves sort of this skeleton to work with that gives them really, really, really big builds. And so uh, even as like a Naito fan, when he when he lost that match, and I think a lot of people expected him to win, myself included. Oh, yeah. There was very little apprehension about it because there's sort of this in New Japan we trust. And one day later, we already mm. saw why he lost and where they're going next and, and so on. So they're very, very good at those things. Yeah, even even further than that, they're, they're always 
making little connections between their main eventers and stuff. So Naito has these like small connections that can turn into big storylines whenever they need them to. To a couple of different members, you know, he had this whole running thing with Tanahashi. They turned his initial failure story, and this isn't like a booked failure story. He he failed as their new Tanahashi, their new number one John Cena-esque guy. And they turned it on its head, and he's maybe one of the most popular wrestlers in the world. It's hard to say because, you know, they don't get as much U.S. coverage, of course. Certainly my favorite, for sure. Yeah, but he's probably in... If you're even just talking overall skill and presentation, he's probably the best or second best wrestler in the world, top three at least. He's the most he's the most popular wrestler there. The most popular New Japan wrestler in America is Kenny Omega for Omega, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But in Japan, Naito is far and away currently uh, the most popular with Okada and Omega a little bit behind him. And a lot of a lot of this is the long term booking. If he didn't have such a long kind of story with Tanahashi before this, he wouldn't be in the place he would be now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of that flexibility they exercise is as long as you have a general direction of where you're going, you can keep the car sort of on the road and just make small steering here, small, you know, and change the little things based on what you see in that Naito failure storyline from 2013 was certainly, certainly one of them. And and they use that for uh, the Jericho thing as well by, by, Omega and Jericho sort of mocking the idea that seems like every time you're in the main event, there has to be a double main event because you can't be trusted. You know, it just they yeah. they just use really intelligent story in that way. So I'm sure all, all these factors that I'm going to state have a play in New Japan's kind of like this rise in 2017. But like in your opinion, like what has contributed the most? So it's is it like the the recent like storytelling? Is it the just the young talent pool that's just gotten, or this new generation of talent that's kind of risen to the occasion? Is it the you know New Japan Network? What do you think is the the like the key factor that has elevated New Japan just even further to get this kind of new fan base? Besides uh, another obvious too is obviously Jericho wrestling. Uh, the there are two big things. One of them is uh, very simple, and the other one is very paradoxical. The simple one is they simply have the best wrestling. If you just put out a good product and a good cohesive and entertaining thing people will pay attention and they've done that for long enough that people are starting to pay attention the other one that's just very very funny is wwe and i don't just mean in the way that wwe isn't meeting a certain fan need though that's certainly true there's also massive hype around guys like aj styles adam cole uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, Ricochet will be there soon. War Machine is going there. Uh, even in the women, Kairi Sane, Asuka. These are all people that came into the company super hyped and at their most over. So what people are doing is they're seeing these people and going, why don't I just watch them at their peak and at these uh, places yeah. that they're great mm-hmm. at instead of watching them once they hit their late thirties, early forties and sort of go Water to down. WWE as a retirement plan. Exactly. Yeah. So that's actually a big, a bigger part of it than I think people realize. That, ma- that makes a lot of sense. Also too, just like personally, 2017 was kind of a down year for WWE booking in particular. Like another thing too, was the, the women's wrestling I thought took a step back. And that's my next question is, there really any women's division in New Japan? I know that at one point there used to be, right? I'm trying to think of how to put this to make it accurate. 
they treat the women as sort of their own product. They think it's sort of would be small to like make make like one woman's match or two women's match the way we do over here like they get their own thing they get their own world there um right. and if you're interested in that and i do highly recommend it uh it's called stardom stardom is by far the best women's wrestling uh i've seen and it's uh fairly new i don't think it's been around that long but that's where uh Kyrie sane came from they've got a a young woman named io shirai who's unbelievable wwe wanted her but they're, they didn't want to pay her enough relative. I think she's got like a minor neck injury and they didn't want to fork out. So she just stayed. But stardom is where to go for women's wrestling and uh, very, very specifically Japanese women's wrestling. Ah, Is Shimmer still run over there? I couldn't remember. I was trying to figure out what friend if they're closed down yet. Uh, Shimmer, I believe, is still around. Awesome. Shimmer was that for a very long time. Anytime you wanted to watch any kind of semblance of women's wrestling, you'd have to go to Shimmer. Yeah, there's a few of them. Shimmer, there's a Lucha promotion uh, that's super on the cartoony side, but it's all Lucha. It's all almost all masked, and a lot of great talent come out of there. It's actually here. It's called Shikara, and they do actually just co-ed. Their women and men wrestle in the same match, but because it's even in the culture we're in now, it's not uncomfortable at all. They do like a great job, and it's it's very fun and silly and family friendly and things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of places to watch it, but uh, Stardom is the best I've seen. Uh, I think it also speaks league for the current uh, New Japan product that you were talking about people like Nakamura and AJ poached in the last couple of years, and they were building massively around them for a long time. AJ was pushed super hard when he went over. He got a lot of historic wins in his short tenure there. You're taking what was probably their two best guys out of the company, and a year later, we can honestly say they probably have, we could argue, four of the best five wrestlers on the planet still in new japan oh yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and, and and as long as the system there the dojo is there it's just we get a, on, on this side of the pond we get a lot of injure ex-athletes uh like like uh roman was a, a really big football guy and a lot of these guys play football and then they transition into wrestling when they don't go pro at whatever sport they were in over there it's much more insular the the young lions program they essentially have to spend 3 years wrestling opening matches or very basic matches and you'll notice they all wear black tights they're not allowed to have a gimmick and then they leave uh, like Naito did a few years ago uh, and like Jay White just got back they could basically go on the wrestling equivalent of study abroad and then they come back and then they're packaged creatively and things like that so you just you don't end up with bad wrestlers like the system is just that tight it's really great for getting real talent out there because you see a person develop from the ground up. It also gives a really nice excuse for the fans to get behind someone. So at the Rumble, one of the Lions debuted like their new gimmick, right? Yeah, they have a pre-match Royal Rumble. So they, right. Royal Rumble isn't their own pay-per-view like it would be in WWE. They have an actual one. Just it's, It is still what the equivalent of the Battle Royale, the Andre the Giant thing is. It's to elevate one person or have a feel good and it's to give everyone a paycheck and a chance to be on the big you've earned your space in the company that year kind of thing yeah the new japan rumble is is entertaining in its own right for sure yeah uh but they they sometimes let some young lions i can't remember the exact exactly who it was it was one of the tongan guys oh leo leo tonga leo tonga leo tonga and they they let him debut He, he has like a maori gimmick now and as far as i know this is the first time it's been on new japan tv it might be. I've seen he stepped in as a replacement. Omega had needed three weeks for knee surgery in the fall, and he sort of stepped in on a few shows. But this might be. You're right. This might be the first time he's. I don't know. That dude's massive. He's so every, big. <laughs> every time I see that guy, 
I'm just like, good lord. Yeah, and and it's cool. it gives you something to get behind. Like, oh, he has a character. Oh, he developed a new finisher, and, th- and that's something they're kind of big at, about over there. When a new move is pulled out, it's it's huge, and it's like it's nearly always at a pay per view to finish a match or something like that. When like this new move comes out, and you get to see the character become completely different from the ground up before your eyes a lot of the time that's something i really neglected to mention we were talking about the story aspect so so much of their storytelling is all the match itself they don't do a lot of promos there's not a lot of non uh wrestling segments they they work within that wrestling structure and because we're not told things through a microphone we're trained when you watch new japan to pay more attention to the match itself and so that's where you get these, like uh, Okada was using the Cobra Clutch sleeper. That's a new move for him. And that's why the crowd popped every time he just did this seemingly innocuous move. It's because it's something you're so not used to seeing and you, you see the story going in a different direction. Yeah, and b- before we kind of go into our Wrestling Kingdom discussion, there was a few things I wanted to note. of things that I noticed when I first watching New Japan. And one of them was just the production staff of how they film everything. And that really just aids the storytelling even further. If I watch the Japanese coverage, I can still know what's going on when they cut to certain angles. Also, they don't have stupid shaky camera like WWE. It's the worst. (laughs) It's the worst. (laughs) Oh, my God. My favorite is the Rainmaker zoom out. Yeah, when when Okada sets up and does his hands out thing, that camera gets way out there. And they always zoom in right before. When a match starts, they zoom in. And aside from that, it's super, super presented just as a sport. It's just point the right. camera at them and let them let them do the work. It's it's simple too. I think that's the ultimate thing with a lot of this new Japan stuff. It's just so simple and easy to understand. It's tasteful. I've got people who know I'm into it and are either casually into WWE or just they become aware I'm into New Japan and they the the thing they always ask is how do you follow it if if there's no English commentary and on the most of the shows there is, but I tell them I was like, "Man, you don't you don't need to know what they're saying. Like they're the guys are telling the story. One thing that I really, I think that really hooked me in the last year was Omega, and I don't think it was just Omega because I like you know he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. I think that I watched him when he was a bit of you know a goof. You watched his YouTube videos when he was just a goof in the indies, but you could tell he was extremely good at his job. That he was just it's like a lot of the Shikara guys. They're just choosing to be funny, but they're ridiculously talented. And when that happens in WWE or WCW or old WCW, that person is a comedy character for life. They're done. Santino Morala would be one of the big kind of uh, cases of that where they were funny at the start. They were booked into a funny gimmick and they're never leaving that funny gimmick. They're never going to yeah. be take, taken seriously. New Day is kind of like that right now. It's like, how do they get out of that funny gimmick? Yeah, and it, it's tough, and you're, you're really kind of just paid, and talent isn't always looked at there. They don't look at the most talented guy and give them room to grow. Sometimes they'll let the most talented gr- guy grow for a bit, and then after a month when the ratings dip a little bit, they're cut, they're done, they're never getting the title again. But over in New Japan, you know, Kenny was still a bit of a comedy character at the start. He was, like, low on the card, and they let him work up, and they just let him develop as a as a person, and they realize that you can be funny and still be serious you know your your actions say what you are people don't remember the funny thing you were doing a year ago so i i do really enjoy that 
Yeah, absolutely. He still does. Uh, on there was a really funny match um, in October for Halloween, where he did. They did a Bullet Club. It was a three v three. I think it was him. Uh, I don't remember. Marty Scroll was one of the other guys, but they dressed up and it was had lots of like guys almost kissing spots and like Kenny was <laughs> Kenny was dressed up as Jasmine from Aladdin. Marty Scroll was like the monkey, and it's like if. They do Vince does stuff like that, and it just it just dies a painful death because the guys the product hasn't like earned it. But over there, it's like a, a reprieve. It's okay to do once in a while. They just they just understand the the timing and the taste of of doing things like that. And I think it shows Kenny's flexibility as well as a performer. It, he can be badass with a shotgun, best wrestler in the world, but he can go out and drag and entertain a group of people just as much. It's just how talented he is. Well, I, I think that's a lot of the essence of it is that they have a bunch of guys who understand what people want, what what the current audience want. And Vince is not, I don't, I, I'd argue Vince has never been in touch with what the audience wants. You just put it better than I ever could have. Over the, I, I think that's the difference. The, over there, they have a bunch of guys that understand their audience. Over here, we have one guy who doesn't. There we go. <laughs> yeah. There it is. <laughs> cool. So, Danny, looking at the card this year, what were your expectations going in and what were you most looking forward to? As a Naito fan, I was most looking forward to the main event. I was super excited about the Suzuki-Goto match. Goto is super, super underrated, at least on this side. His work style is very similar to like Roman Reigns. He's like their brawler, uh, big, powerful guy. He's in the same stable as Okada, so on the in the pecking order, he's just always sort of underneath, but he's really, really good. And Suzuki, I assumed correctly that they would beat the shit out of each other and that I would, you know, enjoy watching that. Uh, Goto, especially on these big shows, very hard hitting. And so his matches are always entertaining. Last year, he did an unbelievable match with Katsuyori Shibata that was also that way. So I really looked forward to that match. The, the junior heavyweight four-way, it was criminal how much coverage that did not receive it, it it got praise after and rightly so but going in i i knew if i was i watched it live so i stayed up and i knew if i was falling asleep if i could just make it to that match i would make it because i knew those guys would go nuts they're four unbelievably talented dudes and obviously i was i was interested to see jericho omega because i was interested to see how chris jericho would work in such a unique and new environment i expected a very very good match and they had an absolutely great one. So hats off to Jericho for, for pulling it off. And I'm sure Omega makes it easier than uh, a lot of other people would. He makes guys look so good. He, he did, Yeah, especially himself. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Connor? What were you most looking forward to going into the event? I mean, obviously Jericho Omega. As fans of the podcast know, Jericho's one of my favorite wrestlers. I mean, definitely from our WCW timeline and... Just always been a fan of whatever he does and how he reinvents himself and his character every every single time. I'm just I'm surprised and continue to be impressed. So that was definitely what caught my attention. But uh, Okada Naito, of course, and everything everything else. I wasn't I had no idea what to expect really. Obviously, I know Cody Rhodes, so but I didn't hear a lot too much coverage about that match. I heard a lot about the the four way match. At, oh, this one will be the one that you get surprised with. The Unbucks. It's a team that I've you know, heard a lot about, but I've watched very few of their stuff too. So I, I absolutely love that match as well. But if I have to give like maybe a match of the night that I was not expecting though, it, it would be the one that Danny talked about the, the Goto Suzuki match. I knew nothing about the wrestlers. I had barely listened to any kind of coverage of what it was. And that match just like completely surprised me. And I absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, it was, it was definitely quite the match. I think looking into the event, what I was most looking forward to, and this this sounds a bit smarky and markish, but none of these matches are bad. Like if you look nope. at them on paper, <laughs> they, they, they're, they can be throwaway, right? So like the trios team belts, that, that match was always just going to be fun and a bit frantic and getting their, uh, some funny spots. The Royal Rumble is always there just to, like, it's just this precursor. You can see in the arena, it's not even full yet. It's it's there pre-match, and that's fine. I knew what to expect from that, but it wasn't bad. It was good at what it was for. And they even used it to get a couple of people a little bit over, even though it was this kind of throwaway match. But everything else beside on the card is just superb and booked so well and makes so much sense. And I'm not used to that. And that's why I watched it all. This year, I say I watch New Japan, but what I usually do is I look at cards. And I'm like, okay, within the next week, I'll watch that, that, and that match. Because they're going to be five-star and I should watch them as wrestling fans. This is actually the first one I've sat down and watched the entire card. Because I knew I just I would be entertained for the entire six hours. That's something that you can't say for a WWE pay-per-view. <laughs> There's always like, eh, I'm going to take a break for an hour or something. And, Dude, you know, they're, this ex- was- they're exhausting. <laughs> they were, well, WWE has uh, like six-hour show, or like four or five-hour shows. They feel like ten. This one was six and it felt like two. Yep. They're just easy yeah. to watch. Exactly. Uh, even matches that I don't didn't enjoy as much, or wrestlers. I, I'm going to say this. You guys can lambast me if you want. But I think the Young Bucks are great workers, but I don't enjoy their matches that much. They still The booking still makes sense. I cannot enjoy a wrestler and go, this is a fine match. I know what's happening. I know that makes sense. And what happens at the end of it, whether I agree with it definitely or not, and there's a couple of results maybe I don't agree with in this card, I, I can say that's fine. It's logical. When when I disagree with something on WWE, it's usually because it's terrible. <laughs> it's really badly booked. I'm like, why are they? Oh, no, it's oh, I invested so much time. I watched Raw once, which is like 20 hours. <laughs> watched an entire Raw. I can't get through the first 10 minutes, man. I don't know how you watch a whole one. (laughs) If they have an early commercial break, you get a breather. You're just like, yeah, you're like, yeah, I'll watch some Viagra commercials and recharge (laughs) so I can watch the rest of this. Yeah, it's it's pretty exhausting. So, Connor, you were talking about a very certain match there, and I want to touch on it a bit because I think all three of us seem to have enjoyed it, and that's the Goto-Suzuki match. I loved this match. I knew little bits about both people. I knew, uh, Danny, your exact description of Goto, kind of the Roman Reigns guy. So he's been explained to me in the little bits I saw. I know who Suzuki is, mostly because people tell me that don't ever go near him. He'll probably murder you. <laughs> Dude's terrifying. <laughs> he is a terrifying, terrifying man. Suzuki is 49. Correct. Really? That is, that is insane. And he put on Jeez. quite the good match. I, I, I'll take this moment to say it. There's a lot of older wrestlers on this, on their company in general. And two things to note about the older wrestlers they use is they have a very distinct style that I've noticed. And Jericho actually uses this style during the match is they use the breaks very intelligently. So their heat spots, instead of a WWE match where their pause, take a breath spots are headlock. Their heat spots are a lot more intelligent. So... They'll beat up a, a young boy. When I say young boy, sorry for those of you that don't know that are listening. Those are their trainees that help with stuff around the ring during matches. And they're there to get beat up for cheap heat spots the majority of the time as well. So they'll beat up a young boy to take a break. Or they'll stand on someone's neck instead of just do a basic headlock. And the veterans seem to use that a lot more intelligently to get breaks while adding to the match. And they're kind of where they belong on the card. What, what, what are they known as the um, 
the New Japan Dads is like this unofficial stable <laughs> of like 45-year-old plus guys and they're thrown into tag teams randomly together and that's why they're like an unofficial stable. But they, they're on a very good spot in the card, I think, and that's not something that WWE use very often to uh, to a great extent. No, another thing that WWE doesn't really do as well as New Japan, how they made up this card, it had variety of just like any kind of flavor of wrestling it had. And that's why I love the Jericho Omega match too. It was your, it wasn't like a garbage hardcore match, but it gave you that little just like brawl, but with like some weapons, some tables. It just gave you that little bit portion of dinner. It was your nice dessert. Yeah. What What do you uh, think, Danny? What was your favorite match of the night? Uh, Okada Naito was my was my favorite. It's Russell Kingdom has a high standard to live up to, but it's it seems to frequently do so anyway. I think Russell Kingdom last year was the best show I saw all year, and maybe the best show I've seen. And this one was super close. And a lot of it is just that match. It's it had maybe the best series of in ring feud matches to meet or surpass in Okada's. Uh, series with Omega from last year and what may be the best match any of us will ever see. And I think they attained it pretty admirably. The rumor is that in the building, people thought it was better. I didn't think it was better even as a Naito fan, but it was certainly close enough. And that's without me um, getting my fantasy booking hard on, you know, Naito. That's with a Naito <laughs> loss. Like I still, I still enjoyed it that much. So that was by far my favorite match, but a lot to love for sure. Yeah, I, I love the I love the atmosphere of that match in particular. Yeah, I, I was about to say the atmosphere made me think they were going to do a Bret Austin. I was almost sure there'd be like an official double turn in this match. They pull very little triggers on that stuff. It's mostly there's it's got a very what's the word? They sort of push the wheel and then let it roll. It's pretty unusual for them to take some like a super hard right or a super hard left into into something else. Yeah, it's so they don't book themselves in the corners a lot. You you can let the double turn happen over the next month if you want. I think what's going to happen is I think well Naito and Jericho is going to be a program, and if they end up highlighting or uh, headlining Long Beach, I'm going to be excited, but I'm also going to be really really annoyed because that means I have to make sure I get tickets. Whereas if that if if Jericho wasn't there, I could click buy tickets like half as fast and still get a ticket. But with <laughs> if Naito and Jericho is the main event, I'm going to have to have my like my mouse finger ready to go when tickets go on sale. Yeah, for sure. I, it's looking like they've signed him for some amount of time. There's rumors circulating because his, um, his cruise is going to happen in the next year. I don't know exactly when. And there's rumors, you know, that he's staying there until his cruise launches and then he's going. So it's, it's hard to know exactly for how long they have him, but... If he wrestles half as well as he did in the Omega match for them, he's going to be one of the most famous signings of all time, I think. I think so, too. And the thing is with him is I think they're paying him enough where he doesn't even have to sign. Like, Kota Ibushi works pretty much almost exclusively there, and he's free agent. Like, he doesn't actually... uh, Suzuki as well. Suzuki had that never title, yeah, most of last year, and I don't believe his name is on a contract anywhere. They just have an agreement. So the G the G one in August and late July, that's going to be the first big Japan event where I think it'll be very hard and it will it'll struggle to make sense for Jericho at his status and at his age to to do that. So I would think as long as he's enjoying himself, he'll probably be around 
probably through Dominion. Dominion's in June. That's the second biggest show of the year for them. So yeah, I would expect to see a lot of Jericho at least through the summer. I, I think not only is Jericho getting the attention to the company, we were talking about this a bit earlier, why people are so excited about New Japan recently, but I think there's a bit of a kind of revolution happening where it's exciting, and this happened in the WCW days, it's exciting to be part of the product that's getting better. Oh my god, yes. With Cody doing well over there, and you can see even fans doing it, it's almost being rebellious and sticking it to the Monopoly. Absolutely. Oh, someone good enough to, Absolutely. to and take people, my money somewhere and else. And people know that. Like, those Bullet Club t-shirts on TV cameras, on WWE shows, they're not shrinking, they're, they're growing. And I think that's good. I think, I mean, competition is good. If we want my my ideal would be to have all wrestling products be equally good and to have to decide which one I wanted to watch. Um, so, but you know, the only game in town over here has been that way for some time, and I think that that's to its detriment and to the detriment of the wrestling fan as well. Yeah, we're, we're going to go a lot of uh, over a lot of it in the normal cast, but uh, you know, competition bred two of the best wrestlers of all time and Rock and Austin. You know, if it wasn't for this era, uh, that era of a lot of competition and people maybe losing their jobs or people having the availability of multiple companies to go to, we would have never got that. Austin would have got fired from WCW and been on the indies and retired with not much money in his wallet if it was nowadays, you know. But, Connor, we'll get back to the subject a little bit of the event. You said you love the Okada, uh, Omega Jericho match. Do you want to talk us a bit through that and the points you really loved about that match? Yeah, of course. Uh, the reason I love this match particularly just because like Jer- Jericho, he can just swear up a storm. He can make fun of the fans. I love it when he would go, Kenny, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> and the other, the other thing too I love about this pay-per-view and this match too, I wasn't sure who was going to win. I wasn't, nothing was like too obvious. The whole story around the match too was just, I thought it was perfect. That's really what got my attention to this because I was like, when I heard the announcement, I'm like, eh, they just started this on Twitter or whatever. But then when you start hearing about the storyline and you see all the promos, it's like, all right, I'm in. And, of course, they just delivered, I thought, completely. Yeah, their, their match was fantastic. I, I think one thing, we're talking a lot about the difference between Japanese and American wrestling. Jericho made a resurgence in the last year in WWE, had a very positive run that a lot of people talked about. But I think a lot of people talk more about his character work and, you know, his help of elevating Kevin Owens, and his matches were good, but not excellent. Absolutely, right. Yeah, and this WrestleMania match was, like, not a stinker, but, like, it was kind of a letdown. Yeah, it was very medium by his standards. And then all of a sudden, he's led into an environment where he can do a bit more. Yeah, of course, he's against the best wrestler in the world. But he wrestled Kevin Owens and AJ Styles, and they're up there in the top five, top ten. So that's not much of an excuse. He's let off his leash. He gets to do what he wants, and he puts in a massive performance against Omega. The best I've seen him wrestle in years. Oh, probably my, my favorite moment of the night was when he actually did the lion tamer, like the real lion tamer. Oh. Yeah, the, the build up to it. I was complaining to a friend. I'm like, Kenny can take it. He should do the un- he should do the unsafe move. I'm like Kenny can take it. He does it on a young boy a couple minutes into the yeah. match. I'm like, oh come on, the young the young boy gets to take it and <laughs> Kenny doesn't. I was being I was being such a mark. But yeah, I, I think it shows a big difference between the two products. And I, I'll go back to quickly, we, we don't have much time left here, but the match I think I loved most, and I was super surprised by, as you two said, is uh, uh, Goto Suzuki. Again, because Goto is 49. How is he still wrestling that well? That's ridiculous. Like We were so impressed when Ric Flair was putting in some decent performances and had a good retirement match. But this guy is just putting in excellent performances. <laughs> 
all uh, pretty consistently. My friend who I was watching with is like, yeah, this is just how he how he wrestles all the time, and it's a perfect different type of match. You know, all all these matches coming into the main event, they were all just good quality, high quality wrestling with similar kind of finishes where this was completely different. It was a complete storyline based match between two big strong guys. They they have a kind of similar match where uh with the Elite Killer Squad where they just beat down the wrestlers and the young boys for ten minutes before actually getting into a match. But I think to me I'm babbling a bit, but it kind of signifies what I like most about the product is all these matches told complete different stories and weren't yep. just a style of wrestling. They were, yeah. here are 10 separate stories. And yeah, it's wrestling, so four or five of them are similar to different to different matches, but it's our unique story that's been told over the last couple months. Yep. Right. It, it's variety and other guys can shine, like a bunch of guys can shine through instead of it's just like one or two guys. You know, I don't know anything about Kota Ibushi, but I, loved, I absolutely loved him. I was like, oh, Rhodes, come on. Show me something. I know. I know you, but like, oh, I like the Sabusha guy even more now. The guys are also when I when I mentioned earlier the they put together they they're given the finish, they're given the time, and that's it. That includes the heel face dynamic. If like let's say uh, Omega and Naito, they've had several amazing matches together, and if they go out and the crowd is overwhelmingly for one or the other. They incorporate that in. They don't go out and they're not dedicated to you're the face, you're the heel. I've seen Tanahashi work against Ibushi where Tanahashi would see where the crowd was going, leaning towards the other guy, and then do a hair pull and get a boo. Like it's, It gives it this super dynamic and alive feeling that you don't, where even the matches themselves, they're not just unscripted, but they have this extra natural flow to them. Yeah, it feels organic, yeah. Exactly, organic's a great word. I think Tanahashi is like the perfect example of this because he's he's their equivalent of their John Cena. He's getting a bit older. He pulled them through some dark days and now they're looking for other people to take over for him. But he's very much still the main focus of some, some shows. But I've seen a couple matches where, you know, he starts working on the knee or the neck and that's, you know, taboo. You, you're the good guy. You're supposed to just do your moves, not work over a body part. But when he thinks he's the heel, he just goes right to it. Absolutely. I think the last kind of point I'll make here and a big one about American companies, and it's been all the way back from WCW till now. What's really scary is when their main star gets injured, the way they book wrestling, they they suffer. They lose numbers. They, they lose viewers because they kind of just build one guy, and they feed heels to one guy. They don't make the heel look great so they can recover or the heel can go to a good face turn. A big example of this would be John Cena and Bray Wyatt. Feud a couple of years ago when Bray Wyatt was looking like the next Undertaker and... All of a sudden, he's a nobody because John grinds him to dirt. You know, they they almost do that with AJ Styles this year, even more, uh, even sooner, because John needed to get his win back. That's how that story needed to end, that arc of story. But if you look at the card here, you know, you have uh, Naito, you have Okada, you have Omega, you have Tanahashi could fill in for a short term, even though he's getting older. And you have a couple of others, including people like uh, Ibushi, where he could just, in a matter of a little while, be their main focus. And a lot of a lot of American companies just don't have that. Yeah, they don't put all their eggs in one basket for sure. Okada is definitely their guy. I think he's the best in the world. He's he's super young enough. But if Okada went down tomorrow and needed to be out six months, the machine would keep on. They wouldn't lose a step. No, Naito just fills in, or Naito feuds with someone who picks up the championship, and it's. I wouldn't say, as you said, he's the best in the world. I, I do agree, and I, you wouldn't not notice. But the quality isn't going to go down by much at all. 
And that, that, that's amazing. There was a, a few years ago, John Cena got injured. And they were in serious trouble until I think it was Edge. You could argue when Edge steps up. And that kind of era uh, when he became the rated R superstar. But they, the company actually looked like it was just going to lose ton, tons of money for a long time until John came back. And that just shouldn't be, you shouldn't, with the kind of workloads these people have to do and the short careers some of them have, there's no way it's a responsible thing to do as a company. Yeah, but, is, is that something that's apparent in New Japan as well, Danny? I mean, they don't have weekly Raws and Smackdowns, right? So does New Japan wrestlers, do they get more of a break? Like um, they, what's a good way to put it? They essentially work the same number of dates, but the the travel's easier, and their smaller shows are in a lot more tag matches. So the end of the tag matches are usually like you could have a three v three with Naito and two of his guys against Okada and two of his guys, and then the the last part of that match is those two going at it. And then one of them probably does their finish on one of the lesser guys and wins. So, like, the feud continues, and they made the appearance, they sold the tickets, but they only worked 30% as much as a WWE guy has to. They have these sort of little strategies that protect their guys. Now, with that said, their style is much harder. I don't know. I, I have a hard time. It's true. It's amazing. But I have a hard time understanding how Vince's guys get hurt as much or more often than the New Japan guys. But that's the case. So so apparently something I've heard, uh, I, I don't know if this is exactly true, but the way the New Japan guys train in general seems to be a lot more ta- tailored to their style because they know their style is a bit stronger, a bit stiffer in general in Japan. We can, we can see this with some of the matches where they just pre- stop pretending to throw punches or saps. But they're trained in flexibility and durability, where a lot of the guys, like you take, you ask Rai back from a couple of years ago to take one of these bumps, he's breaking his neck. Yeah. Every time he's breaking his neck, because he's, he's just not ready for that kind of training. He's done weightlifting, but he hasn't done flexibility. You, you don't see, Hunter actually talks about this in recent times, where he has started doing like athletic training, like an American football player would do, or any athlete would do, instead of just how big can I look? Yeah, if you give me if important. you give me the performance center and you give me the new Japan dojo and I've got two or three years and I want to learn how to wrestle and make it look good and not kill myself, it's a pretty easy choice. The performance center at least is starting to look like it's stepping up. For years for years we've had the dojo and only now is the performance center looking like somewhere you might actually want to try. Yeah, NXT and Paul obviously. And, and and honestly, I mean, we haven't mentioned much of that, but that's that's the exception to the rule. And the uh, NXT is a pretty good product, and they have to flip talent really, really fast. Guys and gals leave there every six months, every eight months, and their takeover shows with five matches are way better than anything I see on the main roster. And so, yeah, consistently. And, and if that's yep. the only thing Vince doesn't touch, I think the evidence is pretty apparent. They, they have yeah. mo- modeled themselves pretty hard after the long, young lion kind of thing, though, because they have they have guys from China that haven't wrestled yet, and they've had them for a year or two now. And then they bring them on slowly, and then they develop a gimmick, and then they go up to the main card. So it's almost like they—you have the Young Lions dojo wrapped up in one company, and I, you know, I, I think New Japan just got it right. There's a reason that Paul's mimicking them a bit and taking their guys when when he's able, for sure. And I don't fault it for that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, if that's the case, I don't know, I don't know what you do. I'll be really interested to watch uh, and check it out over the next five, ten, fifteen years when Vince. Uh, fades from the picture and see how Paul does uh, because I think he's actually I think he has a better wrestling mind 
So I'm, I'm interested in, in checking that out. That, that was the politest way of saying dies I've ever heard yeah. in my life. I'm not convinced the dude's mortal, so we got to, well, it's too, <laughs> we'll wait and see. Agreed. Yeah, I love your last point about uh, how much smaller Japan is, and this is something that we can relate to as gamers, too, because a lot of times Japanese, whether it's like fighting games, magic, or whatever, they're a lot better it seems, than more U.S. players. And a huge advantage they have over U.S. people, too, is they're just much more condensed geographically. So I, I definitely, because when you hear a lot about the American wrestlers, they're like, what's what's your least favorite thing about wrestling? They always say the number one thing is usually the travel. They, they all hate traveling. Everything else about the business they love, but the travel is like the number one thing they do not like about it. So I, I bet that does have a huge effect on just mentally and physically. Yeah, if you watch New Japan World, and they again, they don't have uh, they don't have like a weekly Raw type show, but they do do like let's say a, a house show of consequence, a canon performance about every week or two weeks, which is why New Japan World is an excellent value, honestly, because in addition to the big show, they have like a pay per view quality show every six weeks, every eight weeks or so, with some big shows in there. But you'll see them play a lot of the same venues over and over. Because the A, they can fill them out, and B, it's just it's safer for the guys. If if you can draw a good draw in Tokyo at five different Tokyo venues, you don't need to send them all over the country or whatever. So they do have that advantage going for them. Yeah, we could talk about this pay-per-view for hours. We, we've only had this little bit of a lot of time in this special episode to talk about it. But we barely scraped any of these matches. I could honestly sit here and talk about it for three or four hours. But I think I'm going to have to wrap it up today. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special episode of the WCW versus NWO podcast. Uh, big thanks to Danny. And Danny, is there anywhere our viewers can talk to you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can uh, get my social media as every game ever one zero, and you can check me out on Twitch TV. My handle there is the underscore Scrivener. I actually run a using WWE 2K17. I run a AI-based uh, video game women wrestling promotion. There's something fun I do with my friends, and we, we bet on matches in the chat while we watch, you know, Samus from Metroid fight Kerrigan from StarCraft, and it's it's fun and silly, and it's something my friends do. So by all means, come by and say hi. I appreciate you guys uh, taking time to talk wrestling with me. That sounds awesome. Uh, I'll make sure to check that out. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. You can catch us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Vimeo under WCW versus NWO podcast. From me, Connor, and Danny this week, thank you so much for listening.